When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme with John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And as we know, the country continues to bask in this summer sunshine. And it is going to be a little bit longer than we expected because last week, this time last week, I think it was actually raining and we were talking about hanging there as the week goes on. The sunshine is going to arrive and we were forecasting this wonderful weekend and we were expecting it to last possibly till about Tuesday. Well, it's looking like change of plan. Met Aaron are saying that this current heat wave will continue until at least Thursday. So much so that Met Aaron have actually issued a high temperature advisory that comes into effect from today. Now, that isn't something that Met Aaron often have to do in this country, issue a hot temperature temperature advisory. They're predicting temperatures of anything between 26 and 29 degrees Celsius today and of course with that warning uh, comes a high to very high UV levels right across the country. So be careful folks even if you're only out in the sun for a very short period of time. We all seem to go away on sun holidays and you'll be putting on the suntan lotion and you'll be making sure you have the correct factor and whatever it is we think that the Irish sun is in some way different to the sun that you would experience when you're in France or when you're in Spain or Italy or the Bahamas or anywhere else it isn't it is the same sun and you can get as burnt if not more badly burnt here in this country because we forget to put on and keep reapplying the sunscreen so remember the UV levels extremely high. And Met Aaron are now saying that this warm weather is going to continue at least up to Friday. Uh, Daytime temperatures are going to be in the high 20s every day of this week. And then night times going to be very humid, very hot and uh, sticky. They're saying temperatures at night are going to be in the high teens and often if we had temperatures in the high teens during the day we'd be saying isn't this nice summer weather we're going to be getting that at night so prepare for that uh, last Saturday was the hottest day of the year so far uh, one weather station it was the one in Athen Ryan County Galway they recorded the highest around the country they went to 29.5 now there were a number of weather stations that recorded 29 but it was only the one in Galway that went to 29 
And actually last weekend was also the hottest day ever recorded in Northern Ireland with the Met Office there reporting that a weather station close to Newton Ards in County Down they recorded a high of 31.2 degrees on Saturday and that set a new record because the highest record that they had in Northern Ireland had been 30.8 and that was back in uh, 1983. And they reckon about a half a million of us flocked to beaches, flocked to lakes, flocked to rivers to cool off over the weekend and it was fantastic for families to be able to go off and to go to the gorgeous beaches and waterways that we have uh, in this country. Now the accepted definition of a heat wave, there has to be five successive days of temperatures above 25 degrees. So when the thermometer today hits 25 degrees, then it will be official. Ireland is in the middle of a uh, heat wave. And the last time that we recorded weather this hot and the last time we recorded a heat wave where it went on for more than five days was actually back in the summer of 2018. And we have to go way, way back to get the highest temperature ever recorded in this country and I heard Ken talk about it this morning on the radio. It was back in 1887 in Kilkenny Castle when temperatures went to 33.3. Now they are saying by Wednesday that temperatures could exceed 30 degrees in this country and they are even saying it is possible that that record of 33.3 set in 1887 could be exceeded on Wednesday. We will wait and see. And I got a lovely text in from Michael, kind of reminiscing about summers and the past and the way summers used to be. And Michael says, Patricia, hi, I truly hope that you and your listeners are enjoying the beautiful weather that we're having at the moment. It brings me back, says Michael, to my childhood days of beautiful summers, very much like what we're having at the moment. The farmers mowing the hay with the sigh and the horse mowing machine, those that had one, watching for the beehives for the honey. But you had to be very careful with the brown bee as he was mighty aggressive. The black bee would rarely sting. The hand tossing and turning of the hay with the fork before building haystacks to save in the meadow. You would hear it ringing on the forks and that's how you knew it was ready. Going to the bog, cutting the turf and saving it. After a few weeks, you could draw it home. Isn't that a lovely face? We're drawing the turf home. I clearly remember the sods would be like bananas after seven to nine days of drying out. It would literally be so dry, nearly ready to draw home for the winter as that was our oil and our gas. Those times we really got scorched in the summer as I cannot remember sunscreen or anything like it and we survived to tell the tale. We really looked forward to the beautiful spring and summers and we had some marvellous summers but then we moved into the Michaelmas scales in September and we would have some very bad storms in the winter which were acceptable because as Michael said they knew that they were going to have good springs and good uh, summers and actually when I was away at the weekend I was visiting, I spent the weekend at my sister's house in Waterford some other family members including another sister uh, we were all the the fully vaccinated crew and we were able to meet up for the for the first time and we were sitting out you know having food outside and it was absolutely gorgeous and she lives by the sea so we were able to go and visit the visit the beach as well which, which was terrific but we were sitting on Saturday evening talking about the wonderful weather and reminiscing about our own childhood, childhoods and one of my sisters said do you remember when we were kids growing up in the 70s we always had good 
summers. We never remembered sitting indoors looking out at the rain. And I made the point, do we just remember our childhood through rose-tinted glasses? Surely, we, did we always have long, hot summers? And hand on heart, that's what I remember of my childhood summers. I remember, you know, growing up, you went out to play. There was nobody going away on foreign holidays. The most exotic, some people might have gone, was maybe a trip in a caravan to the seaside for a week. That was completely exotic. You got day trips to the seaside or you went to the riverbank to swim. But, you know, more than likely, you spent your days out playing with the children in the neighbourhood none of no one had watches nobody had we'd, certainly there was no mobile phones you came in at one o'clock because you had your dinner in the middle of the day and then you were back out again in the afternoon and where we lived rounders playing rounders was, was a great game during the summer the boys were playing football but you were out all the time and it, the sun always seemed to be shining and I don't know I don't know whether it's because we remember it through rose tinted glasses or whether we genuinely did have better summers than, we, than we've had since, certainly since I've been an adult we seem to bemoan about the fact that all we get in the summertime is so much rain and that's why we look forward to good weather when we get good weather like this and God knows the weather at the moment we need it more than ever because so many people are having staycations and it's fantastic for anyone who's on a staycation this week. They really have picked the best week so far but of course with the good weather comes Irish Water saying to us appealing to householders I was waiting for this it's come fairly quick we need to conserve water supplies. Uh, Now it's Irish Water are saying with the the staycation season now in full swing and more people than ever having holidays at home, there has been an increase in domestic and in commercial demand for water as the temperatures rise. Several areas across the country have already been affected by nighttime uh, restrictions. But Irish Water say as of yet, there are no plans for a water conservation order. But obviously, if this heatwave continues that's what we can expect, that there will be a water conservation order. Irish Water warned yesterday that supplies in Kerry, they are at a critically low level and that's throughout the county of Kerry. Nighttime restrictions may be necessary in order to ensure that homes and businesses then have sufficient supply uh, during uh, the day. So the um, Tom Cuddihy of Irish Waters, he's the head of asset operations. I saw him speaking in some of the papers this morning saying we are continuing to work with all of the local authority partners to ensure that everybody enjoys a reliable water supply during the busy summer period. But they're now asking the public to please take note of their water usage and to conserve wherever possible as demand increases with he said we're appealing to the public to redouble your efforts in conserving water in the home in the garden at work and on the farm especially during the two busiest months which is this the month of July and again next month in August and it is applying particularly to people who live in a tourist hot spot in any of the popular coastal regions any of the tourist destinations they're asking everybody to please double down on our efforts to conserve water. Tom in Formoy said so true the summers were fantastic in our childhood particularly in the 70s and 80s Uh, and Tom has a theory there was less air travel back in the 60s, 70s and uh, 80s when the summers was better 
could that have an effect on our summers today? Has air travel, the effect air travel has had on climate change? But Tom, 100% agrees that our summers definitely were nicer. And then Yvonne says, Patricia, like you, I remember growing up in Clamel and ankle socks all summer. Up in Kennedy's stream to catch Brakeen's roller skating uh, down the hill in Griffith Avenue and swinging on the bars in the bullring in Ardna Green. A great time, says Yvonne. And Yvonne obviously lives in the neighbourhood where I grew up because they were all of the things that I did uh, as a, a child. And actually catching Brakeen's in Kennedy's stream, I don't know if Brakeen's is a Tipperary thing. They were a tiny little fish. If that was something that people did in Cork or not. Do people catch Brakeen's and do people still do it now or not? Uh, I wonder. And then Heidi says, Patricia, how can it be that with all of the rain that we have had in this country already so far this uh, summer, that we get two or three days of warm weather and suddenly we have water shortages? Isn't it ironic, uh, says uh, Heidi. And another listener says, Morning Patricia, with Cork Airport coming back on stream um, and Aer Lingus promising to replace the Stobart Air flights, will there be a replacement flight for the Cork to Bristol I don't know. Um, it's, it's something I'm keeping an eye on as well. They, they, there was normally a daily flight from Cork to Bristol. That was a very popular uh, flight that Stobart Air operated. I do know that Aer Lingus are saying that they're picking up, that they're, they're trying to get replacements for the any of the regional flights that were money making and that were profitable and I would be very surprised to hear that the Cork to Bristol one wasn't a profitable one because it's one that I took quite a lot and certainly any time I was on it it was busy but as of yet no I've heard nothing uh, to say that they are going to uh, replace it because of course from today non-essential travel is permitted to into Ireland and England, of course, are having their Freedom Day. The UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, uh, he'll have Freedom Day um, in quarantine, though, because he's a, a close contact of a confirmed case. But the mandatory mask wearing has been dropped in England. Nightclubs are reopening. Limits on the number of people a person can meet up with all uh, ceasing. Uh, bearing in mind that the UK are recording almost 50,000 cases a day a lot of people around the world are looking to England saying what in God's name are they doing and of course here uh, close at home people are worried I know I saw Dr Jerry Barry the UCD virologist was saying that if travel increases between the UK and Ireland it is likely that we'll see an increase in cases here in this uh, country uh, people will bring the virus with them obviously they're not going to do it knowingly but Dr Barry is making the point it's just going to fuel a fire that we already have he says we've got a, a pretty good fire burning here at the moment with our case numbers without importing more uh, cases and remember around 10% of all new COVID-19 cases up to the end of June came from travel as people in June started returning to EU destinations. Now it was Spain was the highest number of cases that we imported in particular the Balearic Islands, Majorca, Menorca and Ibiza the most of the COVID-19 cases came from there but there was a high number also came from the UK. 150,000 people are expected to travel through Dublin airport alone this week with restrictions lifting. Today for example they're expecting 22,500 people and despite the spiralling case numbers in the UK vaccinated passengers from the UK can travel into Ireland today without quarantining. Uh, Dr Barry said if people can come to Ireland without any quarantine, isolation or testing, 
he reckons it's going to encourage travel and he's concerned about that. He said the reality is in the UK, the situation is incredible, to put it mildly, in terms of the case numbers. This variant we're dealing with and that they're dealing with in England is incredibly infectious. He said we even now know that people who are vaccinated can still get COVID. They may not even know they, they have it. And of course, the danger is, could they be spreading, particularly to people who are not vaccinated or those who are vulnerable to COVID-19? And of course, teenagers who are coming in from the UK will not be uh, vaccinated. But yes, international travel is opening from today. 1850 John Paul, taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's kids. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now last week the Joint Committee on Disability Matters launched their 2022 budget submission with a call to align disability funding with the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disability. Joining me is the Committee Chairperson and that's Deputy Michael Moynihan. Good morning to you Michael. Good morning. And, and you're enjoying the fine weather? Absolutely, it is beautiful. I, you know, the weekend was spectacular and I think the week ahead is going to be good as well. And I suppose, you know, it's a welcome respite and, you know, it improves the mood of people as it well. Uh, it, it, it is beautiful. And yesterday and Saturday were spectacular. That's great. Long may it last. Now, have we a problem with poverty and social exclusion for disabled people in this country when we compare us to other EU countries? We have. Like, we set about since the... I know that we are one of the first... European countries to have a special committee on disability matters, and we set about last year when we when we got set up in October uh, to align, I suppose, our terms of reference first of all with the lived experience. So we reached out to those with disabilities and those with carers and family members to see what is the what is out there. So we aligned our terms of reference first of all with what was out in the community, not what. We're not telling us or anybody else to tell us, but the ordinary people, the day-to-day lives of the people that were living with disability. And then, I suppose, COVID in, uh, interrupted, particularly in January and February, when we, our public meetings were uh, hampered somewhat. But we had a huge amount of, of meetings with right across the spectrum with various stakeholders, with people with disabilities and with families and with organisations. And I am struck by the power of the uh, evidence that we've got before the committee. The individuals who are living with a disability, their carers or their families, and the evidence that has come across. And a lot of it, you know, is, uh, I suppose, we've given a voice in our committee to that level of, of uh, I suppose, concern that's out there. But also, you know, we've had a counter-argument in terms of some of the issues, in terms of the uh, decomplicated settings, some of the places where people are living, they don't call them congregated settings because they're smaller units and people are very happy there and very content there. So they're challenging some of the uh, the major policies that are out there. But I suppose when it comes to people with disabilities, there is a poverty there. There is a challenge there. And we looked at a putting together a pre-budget submission. We're actually the only sector committee that has put a pre-budget submission together this year. And it's a a new for for committees to do that. But I felt that we should be feeding into the budgetary process the evidence and the information has been given to us by uh, people with disabilities and by families who have people with disabilities and by their carers 
and put the leave the experience of people with disabilities. And has and the pandemic hugely impacted people with disabilities and their carers? It, it, it hugely. In the, in the first part, of this, time, this time last year, the very first, uh, I suppose, lockdown, it had a devastating effect on people with disabilities. And if you cast your mind back to this time last year, you know, the day services were, were closed, the support mechanisms that were there for people with disabilities were closed. And also, the employment that they would have had, that employment was curtailed for people living, uh, working from home and so forth. It did have a detrimental effect. You know, I think that in, in years to come, the and, uh, people analysing what COVID has done for young people, for old people, for everybody else, people with disabilities would be very high up there on the way it has affected their lives and the way it affected the lives of them and their families and their carers. And we looked at different headings of, you know, where we would be looking back. There was 140 million of, of an increase in funding from 2019 to, or from 2020 to 2021 for people with disabilities. That is really only scratched the surface. And we looked at what are the major issues, you know, funding mechanisms to ensure that, you know, supports for people with disabilities are brought closer to the people, brought closer to the families. A number of the issues that we did raise, I suppose, and one of the issues that, we, like I said, there's a whole lot of recommendations in the report, each one of them meriting huge amount of strength and huge amount of, of, of uh, evidence. But there is one thing that I feel very strongly about, and that is the, the means test for carers allowance, and, uh, you know, the means assessment rather than a care assessment. And I think that, you know, when somebody takes time out of work for to care for an elderly relative, for a sibling, or for uh, one of their children, uh, they've taken time out of work and they can't, they qualify for the care's benefit for two years, and then they can qualify for the care's allowance because it means tests. And the other partner uh, is working and is over the limit. And might only be over the limit by a very small amount. Some of the cases that we are looking at, they would be over the limit by a minuscule amount. And I think that what we really need to do is we need to have the discussion in relation to care assistance rather than means assistance. And if the care is being provided, and many times, you know, many, many times that this care is being provided, you know, for a sibling, for a parent or for a child, it is saving the state and a vast amount of money. You know, if that, if that person had to go into full-time care, it is saving the state a huge amount of money. And I think that we have to look at it on the wrong. We have to look at the benefits to the person that is getting the care, the benefits to the family, the benefits to the community, and the benefits to the person that is giving the care. And all of that needs to be looked at to make sure that we have a more, I suppose, robust and a more thoughtful, not just put a figure out there and then close the figure off if you're over that, that's it, end of. And I think that the real, we really need to look at this and, you know, the, 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 the word, the means assessment, I think it just has to be replaced by the care assessment. That's a very good point. And somebody else is making another good point. Not only should the, the family carers not be means tested, it should also be taken off 
it should also not be classed as a social welfare payment. The reason I say this is carers, full-time carers are working. I feel they're discriminated against if they go forward for a loan, for a mortgage, even if you go to get car insurance. When they list down the jobs that you do, carers are not listed. You have to state that you're unemployed. Uh, it's keeping people down in every way. And that's a good point. I mean, it is a, it is a social welfare payment, but carers are working in some cases 24-7. It is an absolutely, desperately valid point. And like, there is no question or doubt about it, but the, the person that's providing the care, the care is working. They are working. And there couldn't be a value put on the work that they're doing. You know, they're, they were frontline right through the pandemic. They are frontline every day of the week in relation to providing care for their loved ones. And, you know, it, because of the way it's structured, it is now classed as a social welfare payment. And I think, like, I, 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 I really believe, right, that we really need to look at not just for the, the person that's receiving the care and for the person that is giving the care. They are the two hugely important things. But from a societal point of view as a whole, this whole thing has to be looked at because we have to give, you know, an acknowledgement and a respect to people that are giving the care that they are totally acknowledged within society, they're totally acknowledged within the state, and that they are given, you know, every possible, I suppose, you know, hats off for the want of a better word to say, well done, you're doing a fantastic job, and we really are proud of you. And I think looking at that in terms of car loans, in terms of insurance, in terms of any other thing, it should be they're fully employed, they are working 24-7, and that's it is their job and we should acknowledge that. And okay. I think that we need to, you know, we, we we need to have a very serious discussion. A lot of the, the information that came before us, a lot of the evidence that came before us was very challenging in terms of, you know, people, you know, outside of the income limits, as you said in your opening remarks, by a very small amount. And that is difficult to stand over, it's difficult to rationalise or to Okay, and I think I think on this program we would regularly hear from people who are very upset about the fact that their family carers allowances means tested. But I think the other issue that we get a lot of calls on are for people who want to look after their loved one at home for as long as possible, and in order, and they don't want them to end end up in any kind of residential care or in a nursing home. But in order to do that, they need a little bit of support, a little bit of help, be it home help, home care packages. Michael need to be looked at. Home care packages, and you know, in every family, they are trying to make sure that they do the right by their loved ones. And some of the battles that have been had in terms of getting extra care, home care packages, extra home help, and particularly over the weekend, in some cases, to try and make sure that there's home package, that there's home care, home help hours available over the weekend. And I, I like, I said it. You know, going back 10, 15 years ago, right? It is the most undervalued service that's been given by people. It has the greatest financial uh, impact for the state because it is keeping people in their homes longer. You know, any cost in this analysis of the home care packages, of the home health work that's been done throughout the country, now and in the past, it, it couldn't be overestimated how well they are doing with this. And I think that there's the, 
almost, you know, an hour here, 10 minutes there, quarter of an hour there. That's not sufficient. And I think, you know, over the last number of years, you know, the, the, the nursing homes and nursing homes. But I do think that the pandemic has shown us that keeping people in their own community, in their own homes, and provide the support by the state in their own homes is a far better and has far better outcomes. And, I, you know, if anything that we want to do is we want to go and bring more home care packages, more home health powers, and they are some of the things that we've highlighted, but all, and, and personal assistance as well, and that needs to be fed into the budget process over the next couple of months okay. prior to the budget being announced. Okay, and uh, there's two calls in asking the same question. Any update on the full reopening of day services for people with disabilities? One listener is saying uh, nearly everyone's fully vaccinated at this stage. Why are day services not fully reopened? Well, that, that's a discussion that I've been ongoing constantly with the Department of the HSE. This morning I am meeting Minister Anne Rabbit again to just discuss, discuss that. I will be meeting her later in the week again to discuss it, but I certainly will try and come back to your listeners because I know full well what they mean by it, and I will try and come back to your listeners with a, a, a definite timeline as soon as possible. Okay. Okay, and just on a different topic before I let you go, because I saw you on the examiner, I think it was last uh, Friday, with regard to the former Bridewell Jail in Canturk, um, and the reason why it's so important to have this building preserved. Yes, the, in the Bridewell, the, the old jail, which uh, hasn't been used as a jail for decades now at this stage, but there's fantastic writings on it, historical writings going back to the War of Independence and the Civil War, of people that were incarcerated there, messages, uh, names of volunteers from Asparo White, from Middleton to Glintzesk, and from Skibbereen uh, White through to North Hawk and beyond this. And uh, they, it is falling into decay. And some of those writings, there's various uh, illustrations of, uh, of people in it, jail wardens, we think that the Countess Markovic is a drawing of Countess Markovic, and others in it. And it is crumbling, the past is falling off of the wall, and with the past falling off of the wire is all this writing. This is a hugely historical significance and needs to be preserved. We have been working with the court services over the last number of weeks and the OPW to try and get a resolution of it. I thought to highlight it in the first instance, and then to try and get a resolution of it. The OPW and the court services are working together at the moment, and again, we hope to be in discussions with them later in the week to finalise what exactly can be done. But it really needs to be preserved. So the old court building in Kentucky is hugely historical. It's been 200 years since uh, 1825 it was built, and uh, it would make... It, 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 yeah, it, it really would. It really would. Okay, keep us posted on that as well, Michael. We leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, bye bye. Uh, that is uh, Fianna Fáil, uh, Dáil Deputy Michael Moynihan. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, the lack of proper opening hours at civic amenity sites in West Cork is proving very frustrating for visitors who vacate.
vacate holiday homes at the weekend and it's leading to an increase in illegal dumping. That's according to West Cork Fine Gael Councillor Karen Coakley uh, who joins me. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. No, How are you? I'm very well. Good. Your, your real problem is in Skibbereen is that the Civic Amenish site doesn't open at all on Saturday in It doesn't, Skibbereen. that's correct. Now, it's a much welcome facility but unfortunately the opening times, they're not favourable in particular if you were to look at anyone working Monday to Friday but now when we look at tourism, I mean, since the pandemic, we've had an influx of visitors and we're absolutely thrilled to see them. They're most welcome. But sadly, when they vacate their properties, the recycling centre isn't open. Yeah, and it means either people bring it home with them, which you'd like to think some people will do. But if you've got a carload of kids and That's the car the is full and you have two black bags of rubbish. Exactly. Now, I feel that we have, the, we have a great facility. There's no doubt about that. But it's just not, um, it's not convenient for people. Now, quite often with the council, obviously, we know that budgets are very important. So I came up and I gave them the option. I said, why not trial it? I mean, summer is our busy time. Try it on a trial basis for the summer months. See how it goes. Evaluate it afterwards. And if successful, you know, possibly maybe extend it. But just try it for the summer months anyhow. The other option would be if it closed one day midweek, and if it was open Saturday, you've got all of the working people can use it and all of our visitors. Yeah, because there was a time where they were all open. Uh, all the civic community sites were open every day. But then, if I remember rightly, they reduced the hours. It was a cost-saving measure, wasn't it? So, Because I'm always saying, whenever people ask about civic community sites, I'm always saying, go on to the Cork County Council website to check what day your civic community site is, is open. But the Saturday one... They should try and arrange that because Saturday would, I imagine, be one of their busiest days. Absolutely. And I mean, it's a great centre, but if we're going to promote recycling, we want to reduce waste on the roadside and, of course, our waterways as well. We have to extend the opening hours. I mean, it's a bit of a futile exercise if people are going to be dumping rubbish. Our council staff are going out there picking it up. And just to say, our litter wardens are doing absolutely Trojan work. I mean, they are out night and day, but they can only do so much. And quite often, a lot of the rubbish that they are picking up, it's the same people that are doing it again. So the pattern continues and we're actually going nowhere with it. Now, Skibreen and Baltimore are particularly badly affected now by this. And it's just, it's just not fair. And, you know, you can look at our local tidy towns groups. Again, they're doing fantastic work, but it's really soul destroying for them. They pick it up and it just happens over and over again. So we have the facility. And to me, it seems quite simple. And it seems like a cost saving exercise. Open it on a Saturday. And as I said, anyone working Monday to Friday, Saturday is the day that they Mm. can do their recycling. It also would be interesting to see, Karen, on the civic community sites that do open on Saturday. Some open all day, some open a half day. It'd be interesting to see how busy are they on Saturday compared to any other day during the week. Well, I would hope, you see, that if we did have this trial, that they could actually look back on the figures then and then they would know, obviously, if people are going to use it that, you know, they could continue it. But if you just look at Skibreen alone, I mean, we have the most fantastic market here every Saturday and people come from all over West Cork and any holiday makers will come in for it. So for a lot of people coming into town on Saturday, that would be a day that they could go and they could, you know, dispose of their rubbish, they could do their recycling, doing it in an environmentally friendly way. And to me, it's a win-win situation for everyone. Are you finding evidence of domestic waste dumped in the area? Oh, unfortunately, it's it's absolutely appalling, really, since the pandemic. I mean, it's it's just, 
it's something that upsets me and I get cross as I'm out walking and I see it. I mean, there is no excuse. We see cans, we see bottles. It's free to recycle them. There's absolutely no excuse for dumping rubbish. I mean, living in West Cork, it's absolutely heaven. And to see that people will come along and destroy our beautiful countryside, there's absolutely no excuse for it. And any time I mention littering, I always think, and I know you mentioned them, the the volunteers of the Tidy Towns Committee, how dirty would our towns and villages be without those volunteers? In a way, I think that they're doing so much good work that it's almost falling back to them. And I personally don't know how they can do it day after day. And like I said, the people that are littering, it's the same people over and over again. Yeah, it's shocking. It's, and it really the tidy towns go out and pick it up again so and it's just a continual battle. What did the council say to you about the civic community sites and the possibility of them what opening on Saturdays? What they have said is that it's going to go back to the Director of the Environment. I previously brought up a motion like this in September 2019. We were told it would be reviewed and it wasn't. They will go back to um, Louis Duffy in Cork County Council and he will then make a decision. Okay, well, let's... So all, all we can do is just hope that this will happen because there's a need for the service yeah. and... It will be fantastic for holidaymakers coming here. They're going to be passing through Skibreen wherever they're going. And, you know, to be able to dispose of it and dispose of it properly, that is what we want. And in the long term, could actually save the council money because they won't Absolutely. have to go out and clean up an area. Yeah, we, we kicked off, is right. We kicked off by talking about how the glorious weather that we're having. How busy were you in West Cork yesterday? West Cork was absolutely fantastic. I was absolutely thrilled to be in a safety boat for the Galley Head Swim on Saturday. I was, was I was following it on Facebook. It, 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 goodness me, they couldn't have picked a better day for that and swim. And the organisation <laughs> was fantastic. And just to say well done to all the swimmers, absolutely fantastic. Great atmosphere. There were something like 61, 62 safety boats out for it. And to see them swimming and the training that they had put in, and of right. course all from Mary Mountain, you know, fantastic cause. And... Stunning scenery, absolutely wonderful atmosphere and raising money for charity. It really was superb. And it was the, yeah, it was Marymount Hospice and the West Cork Underwater. The West Cork Underwater, that's correct. They do incredible work uh, as well. Absolutely fantastic. So wonderful charities. So lots of people around and people enjoying the facilities. Absolutely. It's absolutely buzzing. There's no doubt about that. Okay. I mean, we're welcoming people, but if we can say to people, if there isn't a rubbish bin near you, just take it home. Leave no trace. That's the message here. Well said. Karen, thank you for that. My absolute pleasure. Enjoy your day. Bye bye. That is uh, bye bye. West Cork uh, Finnegan Councillor Karen Coakley. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Speaking about carers' allowance in the last hour, Deputy Michael Moynihan, who has suggested through his committee that the carers' allowance shouldn't be means tested, it should be based on the care that the person is providing uh, rather than the means coming into the household. Uh, Con says, Do you know that banks don't count carers' allowance as income? It's not deemed as money if you're going for a loan or a mortgage, which is what another listener said as well. And uh, it's, not, it's, it's not taken into account as uh, income. And it's shameful when carers are trying to apply for loans, they're caught with that. Then trying to uh, say, well, we've got this extra money coming into the house as well, but it's simply not accepted as uh, income into the house, which I wasn't uh, aware of. Now, we were talking about wastewater earlier, and in particular with regard to Irish water, and they're asking people to please conserve water supplies as the scorching weather uh, continues. Jur in Ahada said he had Irish water out of his house, and he said it was last year they were doing uh, checks and they had to bring loads of machinery with them, and they discovered there was a leak near to Jur's uh, house, and they said, look, we need to come back and we need to repair it. But he said that's nearly a year ago, and they never came back. 
back. He was always wondering why a patch of his grass was always so wet. And it was only when Irish Water came out and discovered that there was a leak uh, close to Jer's house but here we are a year on and nothing's been done about it. And Jarrah said then we're hearing Irish Water saying that we need to conserve water. So he's going to get back onto them again to remind them that there's a leak in his area, which is just wasting uh, water. And John in Mallow is kind of scratching his head about hearing Irish Water appealing to householders to conserve water. He said, why are we always running short of water in this country. We have a population of just under 5 million. We're a small island. He said, you look to cities like New York or even across the water to London, massive populations and you rarely hear of them having a water uh, shortage. We get a few days of good weather uh, and suddenly we hear all about conserving water and water shortages. With all the technology that is out there, what is going on? John says, surely we could be converting seawater by extracting the salt and using it to provide uh, drinking water. At the end of the day, we are an island nation. We don't have a lot of people living here. We should never be looking into and and talking about water uh, conservation according to John in Mallow. And then remembering summers of long ago a couple of texts and calls uh, in on uh, that. Uh, Donal in, uh, starting with Catherine in Band and Catherine says, listening to you, Patricia, and you're so right. I remember the summers uh, growing up um, whereby for most of June and July we would be outside playing on the street. It seemed like we'd no cares at all. I also remember the lads swimming in the bogs in Bandon. They did seem like happier days. Donal in Formoy says, yes, we did have better summers. I'm not sure what happened over the last 15 to 20 years but the sun did seem to shine longer and it always seemed to have been warmer. I remember the water running dry on the Blackwater River and also people further upstream jumping into the water. You would rarely see that today. Helena in Mitchellstown. People seemed happier with what they had and everybody mixed away in the countryside or out on the street playing. Summers were better. See, people seemed less, less stressed than they are these uh, days. But that's not explaining why we don't seem to be getting as good of weather that we used to have in bygone bygone times and uh, someone else where's this text uh, gone here it is morning uh, Patricia we have had we had happy memories of our younger days uh, growing up as Mike Michael earlier in his text who kicked this all off talking about the saving of the hay and going to the bog for the saving of the turf hard work but we loved it and we would never say no to our parents either my god they worked hard from morning to night for us I can't couldn't see the younger generation working the way we did as kids, going out to save the hay and to save the uh, turf. And then just staying on the fine weather. And I need a farmer, please, to explain this to me or an explanation for this. Mary says, Patricia, just something I'd like I'd like to bring to your attention that you might call it out on air, please. I was out and about yesterday enjoying this absolutely fabulous weather and I noticed that some farmers had some cattle out under the blistering heat. They appear to be fenced off in a paddock in the middle of a large series of fields which didn't have any ditches to provide shade for the cattle. The cattle were panting heavily. Surely this intense heat could cause them to have heat stroke. I thought it was rather cruel on these poor animals. I took note that these poor cattle were in the paddock all day without shade, says Mary. So she obviously saw them at some stage and went back and checked and they appeared to be all day fenced off in a paddock. Why would they be fenced off in the paddock in the middle of a series of 
a field and on a hot day like yesterday would cattle normally head to the shade of under the trees or ditches at the side so if there's somebody in the farming community listening to us that can give an explanation of what was going on there for Mary and what did she witness yesterday 1850 333 Hi Trish uh, Summers when I was growing up when I was younger my brother Kevin used to drop myself and a few more over to the ferry point in Yall we went out in his boat and we'd be there till evening time and of course the big thing was a swim and the wafer ice cream <laughs> yes uh, you're right summers were much hot, hotter years ago but what ha- happy memories we all had says Catherine in Glamire does anybody sell wafers anymore I mean I know the traditional 99 cones are the big thing but you remember the wafer you got the, the block of ice cream and the lady took out the knife and sliced it and you had to slice the wafer you can, you can certainly buy the wafers but I don't know if any shops actually sell those wafers or not anymore is it something and is it even something that you can still buy the wafers can't you in the supermarkets and is it something that children today would even know what it was the wafer of um, ice cream 1850 we spoke about the dumping of rubbish and Councillor Karen Coakley saying that the civic community sites should be open particularly on Saturdays and she was making the point about people vacating holiday homes and you know I was saying if you have a car load of kids and you're loading up the car and you've been there for a couple of weeks you could have two or three bags of rubbish what do you do with it and we certainly don't want people dumping it in the countryside whereas if the local civic community sites were all open on a Saturday and people were aware of that they could dump their rubbish there somebody says Patricia surely if you're renting a property they would provide the bins and that would be part of the rent I would assume so yes I would assume but I think if you think about if somebody is going to their own holiday home they won't have a regular um, well maybe they will but I would take it they wouldn't have a regular bin service because they're not there all year round so if it's somebody going to stay they have a holiday home somewhere and they might go down for a couple of weeks month what do they do with their rubbish how do they get rid of their rubbish if they're heading home and suddenly they've all this rubbish Generated. What do they do with it? We certainly don't want it being dumped in the countryside. And this listener also says, also, could you find out from the council, please, the cutting of grass in housing estates. Are other people noticing that the grass hasn't been cut in housing estates? The children have nowhere to play. Now, I don't know how common or how much that is happening because I know in a lot of housing estates, certainly in private housing estates where the council were cutting, they stopped cutting it and they handed it over to the local, the people living in the estates to cut it themselves. But I'm assuming that this person, are you talking about council estates? Are you talking about housing estates in general? But have others noticed that there hasn't been as much cutting of the green areas, you know, where the children go out to play and honest to God, with the weather we're having at the moment, you want children out in those green areas uh, playing. Hi, uh, Patricia. Does anybody else think that it would be an absolute joke to reopen this country next week when we're at the moment having over a thousand cases a day? That will triple with all of the flights coming into the country from uh, today. This is from uh, John. And then we are going to reopen indoor hospitality. Are other people feeling a bit nervous about it? Because the danger and the threat had been that our case numbers would rise to a thousand a day. This is what Neffert had said by the end of July. Suddenly we find ourselves in little over the middle of July and we've already gone to over a thousand cases a day. Now I know the government still have, has to sign off on indoor Indoor dining. It is looking likely that they will sign off on indoor drinking and uh, dining in spite of 
not only John but other people have concerns about the new surge of cases over the past five days. According to the papers today, some political sources are acknowledging that there was growing concern within the government about the sustained rise in cases but they noted that the increases in hospitalisations was small and the increases in intensive care numbers, they're remaining, they're not really increasing in, in intensive care, they're remaining steady. So I think as long as the hospitalisation and the intensive care numbers don't go up I think we're on track for the opening up of indoor hospitality but it does have to be signed off yet by the uh, the government uh, and obviously they'll monitor those numbers they'll monitor the daily cases they'll keep an eye on hospital admissions but they'll also keep an eye on how many people are in intensive care and then they will add that to any advice obviously coming from uh, Neffet and at the moment the advice coming from Neffet continues to be the reopening of indoor dining, which is expected to be from next week. But of course, it will only be for uh, fully vaccinated people or people who have recovered from uh, COVID. That emergency break is always there at any stage that they've they've warned that they'll pull the emergency break. They could pull it before and not reopen or we may reopen and then they'll pull the emergency break and close it again. They, they will always, the government have always said that they will have have that as a fallback if the figures got too bad. bad. But addressing the issue at the weekend that Taoiseach Micheál Martin said that the government would only sign off on the resumption of indoor dining after careful consideration of all of the advice. So it isn't 100% guaranteed that indoor dining is going to happen. We still have to get it signed off and they will very much rely on the advice from uh, Neffet. And uh, Patricia, listeners talk, you mentioned people coming in from the UK and teenagers are going to arrive unvaccinated and people are worried that some of them could bring COVID with them. What about teenagers in Ireland who are unvaccinated? Are they exempt from getting COVID? Are they exempt from spreading it? No, they're not. And actually there was figures out, the latest figures are out on the numbers of young people contracting COVID-19. Of the just over 8,000 cases reported in the first two weeks of July, 2,342 of those cases were in those under the age of of 18. 382 children under the age of four tested positive for COVID. 728 were between five and 12. And the biggest number were in the teenagers. 1,232 were aged between 13 and 18. So no, Irish teenagers very much getting COVID as well and are they in danger of spreading it? Of course. And just one final one on a listener who wants to highlight Rip Off Ireland. Out of the weekend in West Cork, stopped for a pint Hubby had a pint, that's fine, didn't mind paying for the pint of beer. This listener said, I had a pint of water and I asked for a dash of orange cordial. I got charged two euro for the pint of water and the orange cordial and that was with the husband paying for the pint of beer. Rip off Ireland alive and well. How do others feel about that? 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Dano Supervalue in Mallow. They are recruiting sales assistants and they will hold walk-in interviews on Saturday next, the 24th of July. Walk-in interviews will be from 9am to 2.30pm. Scaffold are wanted for Cork Northside and the McCroom areas, while a truck driver is wanted. It's for delivering home heating oil, Cork City and Blarney areas. And Caulfield's Supervalue in Bandon 
They're looking for a delivery driver with good local knowledge of Bandon and the surrounding areas. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now the cost of getting children ready to return to school this September has gone up and it's pushing many families into debt. To discuss the problems faced by Munster families with back to school costs, I'm joined by Paul Bailey, who's Head of Communications at the Irish League of Credit Unions. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. And and you're welcome to the programme. Now, you've conducted your annual survey. How much can parents expect to pay to get their children back in through the school gates this year? Well, we're looking at, for the secondary school children, we're talking about just short of €1,500. And for primary school, just short of €1,200. So we're up on last year, uh, on primary school, we're up to 1186 That's €63 increase on last year. And... Uh, up to uh, 1,491, as I say, just short of 1,500 for secondary school students. That's up from 1,467 last year. So not major increases, but just, you know, enough to actually impact on on household finances. Um, We've been doing this survey for over eight years now, Patricia, and uh, every year it's it's been creeping up. there was one year where it sort of stabilised around 2018, 2019. Um, and I, looking back on that, I think part of the reason was there was a, a focus on it in the Oireachtas. Uh, the Oireachtas all, all, uh, Party Education Committee uh, focusing on school costs and they brought out a report at the time. So. I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And, the, and the one thing that's shocking about, you know, I mean, 1,500 and, and 1,200 uh, euro... That's bad enough if you had one secondary school child and you were paying 1500 and or if you had one primary school child and you were paying 1200 But we know that many families have more than one child that they need to get out to school in September. Oh, absolutely. I was talking to a woman last week with five children. Oh. Yeah, uh, someone else with seven children. So that this is the reality here, you know, and these people are putting money by all year round just to fund back to school, uh, fund uniforms, fund books. And uh, the the, the uh, back to school essentials, the lunch boxes, the with the primary school kids now, the, the the fancy water bottles, you know. So these are all extra expenses that people have to budget for now all year round. Yeah, and that's why when people give out almost as soon as the school holidays come in in June, you will see all of the department stores and the supermarkets have all the back to school signs up and all the clothes and the items and we'll inevitably get calls in from people giving out saying, oh, why are they back to school and the children are only are only off? And I always defend it by saying there are people that have to buy a little bit every week to budget yeah. towards these costs. That's it. That's it. I mean, and, and we come out around the 15th of July every year with our back to school survey and people say, oh, you should the kids only finish school? Yeah, but the parents are already thinking about now books, uh, uniforms. Uh, come you know, come end of August, being September, they, it'll be too late to start thinking about them then. So they they actually try and get ahead of the, the posse, so to speak. So it, it's it's a reality. Um, it's part of household budgeting now. I think going forward. Do many parents, Paul, admit that they find it hard to meet these costs? Yeah, what we found in in, in um, Munster that sixty eight percent. Of, of monster parents uh, admitted to being a, a, the back back to school is a financial burden, um, which is higher than the national average of sixty one percent. 
And of those people who find a financial burden, uh, over a quarter, uh, 27% are saying they're getting into to debt to cover the back-to-school costs. And of that quarter, of that 27% getting into debt, you've nearly 40% recurring a debt of over €500. Euros. So wow. that's really, really high, you know. So um, it's just, it's not a good space to be in. If, you know, people shouldn't be getting into debt to fund back to school. It's supposed to be a free education system we have. But it's far from that when we see these types of figures being quoted, you know. Do the majority of schools still look for a voluntary contribution? Yes, there's still a, 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 a good amount of schools. Uh, I think we've nationally we found 71% of schools still looking for a voluntary contribution. So, um, and, and as we know, these, these contributions are, are far from voluntary. Uh, no. You know, if you don't pay it, you get a letter saying you haven't paid your voluntary contribution and that puts uh, an awful lot of pressure on, on, on parents. I, I was speaking to a lone parent last week who has two kids, a primary school and a secondary school child um, and she can't afford the voluntary contribution. As I say, she's a lone parent and she is working but she said the, uh, that she still has all these other expenses so when she doesn't pay it, she gets a letter out from the school to say you haven't paid your voluntary contribution and then she's worrying what if word gets out in the classroom that, you know, I haven't paid, are my kids going to be stigmatized, you know? So that all those pressures, not just the financial, but the, the mental pressure of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, we've over the years heard of some schools not issuing the locker keys and as the voluntary contribution was paid, there was another school, they wouldn't give out the school diary. So therefore, every child in the class who didn't pay the voluntary contribution, you stood out because you didn't have the school diary. Yeah. You know, yeah. and yeah. And do you suggest that people, you know, particularly the case like that, that, that woman you're talking about there, Talk to the school and explain what's going on. Oh, I think so. And I think, you know, I, I think, Patricia, I think the schools have got much more understanding over the years uh, to realise that, you know, not everybody can pay this. Uh, so I think that they, you know, as you say, get get the parent to ring the school and say, look, here's my situation. And, and generally, schools will know the situation anyway and the letters will stop coming, hopefully, you know. And schools themselves, could they be doing more to reduce the costs? Oh, yeah, and, and a lot of schools are in fairness to them. I mean, a lot of schools have now book rental schemes, for example. So, like, we looked at the, the cost of, of uh, school books for secondary school children this year is up to €211. Euro. Now, if a school does a book rental scheme where a parent has to pay €50 euro a year to, to rent the books, that's far more uh, 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 affordable than having to spend the 211 so, and a lot of schools do that, in fairness. Uh, other schools are doing um, uniform swaps, which I think is a great idea. Parent, parents, uh, teachers, uh, the Parents Association organized uh, um, a uniform swap where at the end of the year, the the kids that are going, say, into fifth class, their parents will bring in their uniforms uh, for the incoming fourth class, and they're, you know, they're washed and ironed, and they, they're, you know, they're respectable, and they're just swapped Great idea, great idea. And because the branded, I mean, there was a big hoo-ha about having to get a crested jumper that you could only buy at a special shop or you could only buy it from the school in some cases. And certainly with the tracksuits, having the branded tracksuits and people were saying that they wanted to be able to buy the generic ones. There's been a move away from that. Now, not all schools, there are still some schools going for the branded 
gear. Oh yeah, there, there, there are still some schools going for the brands, and you said, and, and the, you can only buy that particular uniform from a particular supplier in your local uh, town or, or, or community. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of schools now have moved towards the generic, you know, grey grey jumper, grey slacks, or you know, maroon jumper, uh, you know, grey skirt. Um, which you can buy in, in, in a lot of the, 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 the big retailers at a, a very low cost. And that if, if they get worn out, which they do with kids, you know, holding the trousers or holding the jumper, they can be replaced at a very reasonable cost. Whereas if you're buying expensive school jumpers with the, the, the school badge on it, um, they're, you know, when they get torn, that's, you're talking another 70, 80 quid. Yeah, yeah it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And yeah. uh, and obviously you're with the Irish League of uh, Credit Unions. Uh, Paul, for families listening that are struggling financially to cover the cost of back to school, I take it your message is, you know, chat with your local friendly local credit union. I would say that, yeah. That, I mean, interesting enough, we've seen a, a rise in the amount of people in Munster using the credit unions uh, this year to, to, to finance back to school last year. It was only at 2%. There's now 10% of people saying they use the credit union. Um, now, unfortunately, there's still about 3.5% of people using money lenders. And I, what I would say to your listeners is, you know, rather than going to a, a high-interest money lender, and these, these just to make the distinction, these will be licensed money lenders. These are licensed by the central bank. Mm. And that are, they, they charge exorbitant interest rates. Uh, so rather than going down that route, Go and talk to the local credit union. If you're not a member, you can join uh, and apply for a loan almost immediately. Um, but also, you know, if, if you're if you're not a member of the credit union and you just you just have a, your normal bank account, talk to your bank. You'll still get a personal loan there as well at a reasonable rate, rather than having to. Just- to pay the away from the, for, for, from the money lenders. And, and your survey, Paul, uh, finally, you also looked at the impact of COVID. Yes. What, what do parents have to say? Ho- I, I take it homeschooling featured. Homeschooling is, a, is, is a, a challenge for everybody and it was a real challenge this year for, for, for parents. Um, you know, the, the, the 30% of, of, of parents in Munster said they the cost of buying extra food, believe it or not, yeah. for the children at home during lockdown ha- had the biggest financial impact on their household budget. So you can only imagine it if you have five teenagers or even just younger kids. Yeah, we were I'm hearing that the, the fridge door was... Is there anything to eat, Matt? The fridge exactly. door was constantly uh, being opened. And yeah. and I'm assuming that some parents would be concerned about a future lockdown. I mean, I know uh, we mentioned that the Minister for Education is saying that it's all systems go and that schools will fully reopen in September. But is that a worry for parents? Yeah, I mean, uh, 41% of parents are, are really concerned about the impact another lockdown might have on their children. Uh, on their mental health, for example, you know, not not being able to see their friends, um, and then another nearly forty percent worried about uh, their child's exposure to to COVID nineteen um, and health and safety. You know, the health and safety of children. So, real concerns um, about returns. So, interesting. Seventy two percent of parents in Munster agree that secondary school children should be vaccinated and with 50% agreeing that primary schools should be vaccinated so that's quite high you know Okay, all right. listen uh, Paul thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning
Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Paul Bailey, Head of Communications at the Irish League of uh, Credit Union. A listener says, uh, Patricia, what is the, the monthly children's allowance? What is that supposed to be for? Is that not supposed to be for the children to fund things like back to school costs, school uniforms, book, books, uh, etc. and any other needs that your child may has uh, may have? On top of that, they have, well, some have, the back to school clothing and footwear allowance. Why are these people uh, complaining? Well, I don't think they're complaining. I think the survey is showing that some people, even with children's allowance and even with the back to school clothing and footwear allowance, still are not able to manage and still are just not able to have the money, the 1500 it costs for a secondary school child to go back to school and 1200 for a primary school children. Then I'm assuming, and let, I'd be interested to hear from uh, parents with the monthly children's allowance, many, uh, many people use that monthly uh, children's allowance for anything but the children. They're actually using it to pay bills, to pay the electricity bill. Some people are even putting it towards mortgage. Some people are putting it towards uh, rent. With the cost of living going up, people are using that money for you know, they'd love the idea of putting it aside that it could be used just for the children. But there are many, many families have no choice. Families on low income have absolutely no choice. And then someone else uh, is given out about somebody who contacted us to say, could we find out why the council isn't cutting, you know, the green areas in housing estates? And I didn't know if it was a council estate or a private estate, because I know many private estates where the council had taken them over the council handed it back to the residents and the residents are organising to cut the grass themselves. This listener is in that cohort of people and said, why are people moaning to you, Patricia, about the cutting of the grass in their area? Would they not, as a group of residents, get together and pay someone to go out and cut the grass uh, for them? Why do people expect everything for free? We pay €100 a year to have our grass cut in our estate. By the way, we're pensioners, but we always pay. Why are people always moaning and people never want to pay and people want to have everything done for free? People need to pay up like the rest of us. Three of Cork's top GAA clubs have joined forces in a fundraising venture that will see one lucky winner walk away with the ultimate prize of a brand new house in Clonakilty. Wouldn't I love it? To discuss the hashtag Winagaff competition, I'm joined by Brendan Keane, who is chairperson of Formoy GAA Club. Good morning to you, Brendan. Good morning, Patricia. And How are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome. Now, along with yourselves, in Formoy, just tell us who the other clubs that are involved. We've teamed up with Douglas, who'd obviously be well known, and a club called Ardfield, who are from West Cork. Know it, I know it well. Yeah, I know it well. Who came up with the idea of joining forces? Well, I think it was um, it was Ardfield's idea to run this, but Douglas had previous experience, so I suppose we had connections with both clubs. And once the idea was floated, I guess they were looking around to partner with with the club not in their immediate vicinity. So I guess we fitted the bill and uh, we obviously, like a lot of GA clubs, we would need for raising a lot of money. So we're delighted to participate in it. And you know what I love? I love it that the, the fact that the three clubs are spread right across the city and county. Yeah, and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to capture that not just countywide, but countrywide and even abroad because a critical piece of this is the diaspora or whatever you like to call them because all the selling is online and reaching people through Twitter and Instagram and social media generally is a big, big part of the marketing for this. Tell me about the house. It's at the Miles in Clannacilty. It's a three-bedroom, semi-detached house in the Miles in Clannacilty. So obviously the lucky winner can live in it, can sell it, can use it as a holiday home. Um, 
So I guess for the for the initial investment of a hundred euros, it's going to be a fantastic asset to whoever wins it. It's um, it's an amazing prize. Imagine you t- to be able to say I got a house and it cost me a hundred euro. Yeah, it's it's and there's a few of them on the go at the moment, as you probably know. But yeah. we have, you know, we have a little few twists on our one. We have a second prize consolation of a Toyota car. We have a third prize of cash, five thousand. And along the way for the early birds, we've we've got some monthly prizes to encourage people to get their tickets early. Okay, tickets, I'm assuming, same as with all of these draws, €100. Euro. Just it, 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 yeah, it's €100 Euros only available online at very simply winagaff.ie and uh, the draw takes place uh, at the end of October. And if you're feeling flush, you can buy more than one ticket? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if you're a family like mine, you're going to buy more than one. <laughs> now, when and where will the draw be held? The draw will be held in West Cork on the 6th of November. Okay, so we have between now and the 6th of November. But would you say early birds, the earlier you get in, you have more chances of winning on other... Absolutely. Like we have, we're lucky, you know, every club has their own local sponsors. And while we have Leah Healthcare doing a fantastic headline job for us, Tassie Bryans have sponsored, uh, Informoy Electrical have, have sponsored the television. So there's prizes like that every month for people who've already bought tickets just to just to encourage them to buy early. But you'll still stay in the draw for the house? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they're only, they're only um, little inducements, if you like, to encourage the people who bought early to, to, to be in with a chance of getting some other prizes. You obviously have to set a target on how many tickets you need to sell. Yeah, I mean, look, with the average price of, of, a, of a semi-detached house, you know what it is. It's around the, you know, it's up around the 300,000 and you've got fees and you've got marketing and you've got everything on top of that. So obviously you can do the maths there. You have to sell three or three and a half, four thousand tickets before you break even, which is a big ask. But for three big clubs like us, we think we can, you know, we think we can do that. And we're limited, by the way, by the number of entries. Limited to what? So we're limited to ten thousand. Oh, are you? Okay, yeah. you can't sell any more than that. Okay. No, it's it's one of the conditions of the of the. Um, of the court licence, if you like, of the lottery licence, whatever you call it. And then once everything is paid off, the money raised then gets divided between the three GAA clubs. Yeah. And what would be the plan for that money, Brendan? Well, um, we've always earmarked for development. We're trying to keep the running of the club separate. And we have very ambitious plans at the moment in Fermoy. We're, we've, we've just embarked, we've applied for planning permission for an all-weather pitch in our main complex and... Uh, following that year after, we intend developing a viewing area and new dressing rooms and uh, player area. So the whole thing, um, plus other bits and pieces, is going to be quite expensive. Um, and like every GA club, we need to raise money, obviously. So this will put a big dent in it, would it? Uh, it will, and we're we're fortunate as well in that we have a benefactor who's 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 uh, supporting us significantly in the project as well. Well done, well done. Are you getting a good reaction to the hashtag Winnegaff so far? We are, yeah, and we're doing our best to market it, um, you know, as innovatively as we can. And we've obviously, between our, all of the three clubs, we've had a few inter-county ladies and gents players. And, you know, they've helped us kick it off. Um, some of them are pretty well known from each club. And on top of that, then each club is doing their own thing for the last... The last effort in Formoy was we painted some hay bales on the Dublin <laughs> Cork Road. And that's, that's attracting a lot of attention. Hopefully it's selling a few tickets. Yeah, that's, that's listening. And, and that's what it's all about. Because it's been really tough f- fundraising with the pandemic. It's been impossible. It, it has. Like for, for, 
you know, people talk about not being able to play and not being able to get teams together, which was obviously a huge thing, especially for younger people and kids, and, and they missed it big time. But as clubs, we weren't able to, to get access to any kind of fundraising, but we still had to pay some bills. So, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic, if you like, as a club with with, with a big hole in our in our coffers just to run the club. But as I said, we're lucky. We get great support from the locality, from the local businesses, and Leia Healthcare have been sponsors of ours for a number of years, and they're great to us. Well done, well done. And are you getting back to some kind of a normality? We are. We're we're back playing every weekend now. We're a Good. dual club, a bit like Douglas, and um, all our players, or most of our players, play both games. So they've been playing every week at adult level. The juveniles just seem to be out every night of the week, and the ladies, camogie and ladies football. It's it's a very busy club. Um, we we're one of the few clubs in Cork and in the country, I think, that went for this one club idea. Mm. So all our all our games, ladies and gents, are under one umbrella. Were, were you, any of you playing yesterday? Was a scorcher of a day yesterday, it wasn't was it? Was very warm. No, yeah. thankfully. So we're we're playing Bell and um, now on Thursday night in the semi final of the league in hurling. I think the Tipperary hurlers and the heat got to the Tipperary hurlers yesterday. It did look like they wilted it the base. Maybe yeah, the age yeah. legs didn't help. Listen, and I guess we're out now against Clare on Saturday yeah, and against and Kerry on Sunday. So I, w- I wouldn't take from Limerick, but it did just it really did look like the heat just seemed to seem to have got to them. Anyway, anyway, I digress. How can people uh, get one of your tickets? It's very simple. Just go on to the web and put in winagas.ie. Google it or whatever and up it'll come and it's a very simple process just press a button and put in your credit card details Get your ticket I think if you're around for Moy and people want to buy one they can get one from any of the committee members and we'll do the we'll do the button pressing for anyone that wants us to Okay and best of luck to everybody that enters because I think the real draw is the possibility of winning your forever home for 100 euro it's fantastic Listen Brendan enjoyed our chat thank you for that good luck with it Thank you very much and, uh, thanks, thanks for joining that. us Take uh, care Bye bye Brendan Akeen there joining us chairperson of Fomoy Credit Union for their Win a Gaff competition good luck to everybody involved Can I play a couple of requests that have come in to me one is to say huge congratulations to our sister Stephanie Williamson on passing her theory test uh, driving test love from Catherine Martin Dennis Cindy and uh, Ivan and listen the weight that people have had for those driver theory tests well done to you Stacey and it sets you up on the road to many years please God of happy and safe safe driving and then John Joe Bradley is in Kinsale and I'm told John Joe you have a birthday today many of your friends have been on wanting to wish you a very happy birthday You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed just to Janet who sent in a WhatsApp there before uh, 12 uh, Janet says uh, my mum is 90 and she still hasn't received her digital Covid certificate yet for eating indoors should I ring the helpline uh, thank you says Janet no I wouldn't be ringing them yet uh, Janet even though it's officially open for everybody uh, from today but the reason that I would say hold off is your mother is 90 which means your mother would have got more than likely got her vaccine through her GP uh, and they're still posting out the revenue commissioners are still posting out the COVID digital certificates they're doing them but they've about a million to post out and in fairness they've been very very efficient they've been arriving it's about I think 150,000 a day they've been sending out and I know they were working again at them over the weekend so there was more arrived today they're expecting that everyone who's to get it by post should have it by 
to tomorrow, Tuesday. But I would even say give them until Wednesday because obviously the postal service is very busy at the moment uh, as well. Now, what I would say to you, Janet, is if your mum's certificate hasn't arrived in the post by Wednesday, then I would be ringing uh, the helpline. And the same for people who haven't received it. All the emails are out and I'm constantly hearing from people say, oh, I was expecting mine by email because I went to a vaccination centre and I didn't, I didn't get it. I have heard of people who got their jab at a vaccination centre and who received their certificate in the post. So it's very possible that if you haven't received it by email that you're going to get it in the post. So give them until Wednesday and we'll check in and see with the revenue and the HSE, have they posted out? And once we know all of the certificates that they have a record have, has been posted out. And if you don't have it then, then we will be telling people to ring. And the reason I'm saying that is that today, the, that 1800 number is going to be extremely busy from today because that's the number you have to ring to get your recovery certificate in order to get for people who've recovered from COVID-19. You've got to get on to them. So there's going to be a lot of people more than 100,000 people will be looking to get their digital COVID certificate by having a, that they've recovered from COVID. So you don't want the helpline swamped because it is going to be swamped and then people get, uh, people get very annoyed because they can't get through, uh, etc. So just hold off, just wait, uh, Janet, and please let us know uh, if and when your mum does receive it in the post. Now, I'm, I, where will we, I just want to do this now before I do anything else because a couple of minutes ago, I mean, the last hour, I mentioned that somebody said that they were out yesterday in West Cork and they stopped somewhere to have a drink outside. Husband had a pint and this lady had a pint of water and looked for a splash of orange cordial, a little bit of my wadi, to go into the glass of, she just wanted a pint glass of water and she got charged two euro for it. And she contacted us because she says, is this not a rip off uh, Ireland. Well, somebody makes, Andy makes an interesting point and says, Patricia, regarding that lady paying two euro for the water and the dash of cordial, the the premises where she purchased, where the husband got his pint and where she got her glass of water, still have to pay all of the overheads. They've got the electricity, the rates. Don't be miserable. At the end of the day, it was only two euro. And regarding five to seven kids going back to school, don't have so many kids if you can't afford them. Oh, Andy. Sorry, I didn't realise the second part of his text. Anyway, uh, Andy says, don't, don't have large families. But I do accept the point you're making on businesses have overheads. And also the pint glass that it would have been, ser- it had to get served by somebody. That pint glass has to be washed and there's a cost in, entitled to all of that as well. So yeah, there are, are costs involved with it. But having said that, our listener feels, would one euro have been enough? Is two euro a bit much for a pint glass of water with a dash of cordial? And staying with hospitality, Sean in Mayfield says, Patricia, as a worker in the hospitality industry, I am listening to the government telling me and my colleagues that we have not been essential workers in this country. And we've been listening to that for the last 18 months when the hospitality sector was closed down. We can't work. Yet the increase in the number of COVID cases cannot be blamed on us when can we start to feel like essential members of the population, says Sean in Mayfield, who is one of those in the hospitality industry who will be waiting for Michal Martin and the government to sign off on the resumption of indoor dining, which, by the way, I checked there during news at 12 midday is expected to happen on Wednesday of this week. A decision is expected to be made on whether indoor hospitality will go ahead or not. They're obviously going to continue to watch the rising case numbers. They're going to 
watch the number of cases in hospital. Are they increasing? They're going to look at the number of cases in intensive care and then obviously they will take advice from Neffet before they make the decision on whether or not Sean in Mayfield along with all of the other hospitality workers and many of those, particularly those in, in the those who worked in the wet pubs have, haven't been out, have been out of work for 18 months. These are people who now suddenly say we want to be deemed essential workers. When is that going to happen? Thank you for your text, Sean, to 0862 103 103. OK, you can start now <laughs> to text our WhatsAppers for the C103 Smart Speaker Giveaway. We need you to text our WhatsApp your name and address, please, to 0862 103 103. One of the listeners who will text or WhatsApp us now for about the next 10 minutes, John Paul, will pick one lucky listener who will join me on air. I'll ask you to please re- repeat the, f- the winning phrase, which is play C103. By doing that, you'll win for yourself a C103 smart speaker. Thanks to Dundeal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships and uh, so get but you, please you can only text or WhatsApp don't call it's the only way to do it is to text or WhatsApp and of course the reason play C103 when you win one of our smart speakers that's what we'll be asking you to do every morning play C103 and then your smart speaker the radio comes on your smart speaker and you can listen to us all day and there's a whole host of things that you can do with smart speakers you can have a lot of fun with it as well and as I said right across last week you'll start to question how you ever survived without your smart speaker so get texting or WhatsApping, please, on that 0862 103 103. Now, we discussed back to school costs in the last hour with Paul Bailey of the Irish League of Credit Unions, who says for the last six or seven years, they've been doing an annual survey among parents of trying to assess how much is back to school costs. And this year it's come out at about €1,500 Euro if you were secondary school students to get back to school and about 1200 for a primary school teacher and I thought it was Paul Bailey's point every year the, the prices have, have in, the costs just simp- have increased and increased and one of the things that we spoke about was voluntary contributions and that a number of parents struggle with and the very word it is a voluntary contribution and I know there's probably some principals listening to us saying we need those contributions in order to keep the front door open and, and I accept that and that goes back to not having enough funding going into the primary into the secondary schools but many parents find it really difficult to come up with this voluntary contribution on top of everything else that they have to pay out the book costs, the stationary costs, the uniforms, the shoes, the gym gear, everything else that goes with it. And then there's this voluntary contribution which can vary from uh, school to school. And we touched on that when I spoke with the Irish League of Credit Unions as to, you know, what, what do parents do? And it was suggested that maybe parents might contact the school to explain the financial situation they're in and that they really can't afford the voluntary uh, contributions. Now, I absolutely accept that that is a very difficult thing for parents to do. And one listener is has made an interesting point to say that no school should be expected to be privy to people's financial difficulties. No parent should be expected to have to pick up the phone or call into the school to explain their financial situation in order not to have to pay what is a voluntary uh, con- contribution. And anyone encouraging 
a condescending attitude among parents and children who don't have money for what whatever, then it's a bully boy kind of thing. It's putting pressure on the have nots who hold equal rights to the education of those who have much more in society. And I do think that's a valid point. And I also do think it's a very difficult thing for parents to do. And parents will go into debt rather than not allow their child to go in without the voluntary contribution. As I mentioned when I spoke to Paul Bailey, I have heard, we have heard of situations in the past of uh, schools who wouldn't release the locker key to a student because the parents hadn't paid the voluntary uh, contribution or not getting the school diary and then everybody else in the class knows that Mary hasn't paid the voluntary contribution because she doesn't have the school the school diary. And then Paul Bailey of the Credit Union saying, you know, speaking with a, a lone parent, saying she keeps getting letters from the school to say you haven't paid, you haven't paid and she just feels a bit intimidated by it. And people do go into debt in order to pay that voluntary contribution, which is really, really unfair. On everyone, as I say, I can see it from the school's point of view. I know why they need them. I know why they need they're not getting enough, they say the capitation grant, the money they get paid per pupil to come into the school doesn't cover all of the bills so they have to get the money somewhere. 1850 Hi Patricia, you brought back a lot of happy memories in the last hour when you were talking about the wafer in between the, the slice of ice cream and the wafer on either side. Memories of a shop where I used to work in the summertime where we had the ice cream and the wafer and we only sold ice cream cream during the summer months. It was never sold in the winter months, just in the summer months. When I have grandchildren now, I give them an ice cream and a wafer and I tell them when I was a child, that would have cost you six months. <laughs> Thank you, says Mary, bringing back a happy memory for her. And then somebody else said, you can get a wafer, you can get wafers for ice creams there on sale in Super Value and Spar in Mitchellstown. So that's the wafer itself. But I still haven't found any shop that actually sells the wafer somebody a sh- somebody in the shop probably health and safety won't allow it now anymore where you get out the big knife and you slice the ice cream and you put it between the wafer I don't know of any shop I mean, you can get the cone the 99 even though 99s are, are they in short supply this year that the, the chocolates we spoke about that a few a few weeks ago but, but is there any shop still actually selling the wafer you actually take the block of ice cream out of the freezer cut it and put it between the wafer but the wafers themselves certainly are available in uh, supermarkets and the Animals that were out in the fields that one of our listener contacted us about, she spotted them yesterday standing in the middle of a field and they had absolutely no shelter and they seemed to be penned in, fenced in in the middle of this in the middle of a lot of fields so they couldn't get out to get to the ditches of the shade and she's wondering is that cruelty? Somebody said wow, yes, that is extremely cruel on animals. They need shade. We can't stay out in all kinds of hot weather so why should we be expecting animals to do it? But I didn't get any explanation as to why that would be happening in a rural area, why cows would be fenced off, why they would be forced to stay in the middle of, away from all of the shades. This listener reckoned that they were panting. She found that she thought that they were actually in uh, a bit of stress. Liz says, talking about the hot summers of long ago, as a child, we went back to school after the Easter holidays in ankle socks and you remained in ankle socks then for the duration of the, right to the end of summer. So you probably went back to school in uh, September on carers allowance that we touched on. Uh, I totally agree with whoever said the carers allowance should not be means tested. It should be assessed on the care needs you're giving, not on your financial needs. It can be a very difficult job. I know, says this texter, dot, dot, dot. So that's obviously a carer who's not entitled to a carer's allowance and you're not on your own. So many are not. The 
means testing. You can just be a few euro over the means test and that's it. You don't get the uh, carers allowance. It was actually Deputy Michael Moynihan who is the chair of the Disability Matters uh, Committee and it's part of their pre-budget submission. They want means testing for carers gone and instead do it on the amount of care a person gives and that's how you would be entitled to a carer's allowance. And here's one, and I don't really know what kind of advice to give to this listener. So just wondering, would you, and I'll throw it out to other listeners, would you advise touring around Northern Ireland as part of your staycation this year? This texter then says, probably not a good idea, right? Now, is it? How do people feel? Yeah, there's a lot of cases in Northern Ireland. There's a lot of cases up around uh, Donegal. I know 22 of the 26 local election areas saw an increase in COVID cases last week. So there are COVID outbreaks certainly all over the country. I suppose Neffet and Dr Tony Hulhan and any of the experts would say you have to risk assess. You have to decide for, for your own individual needs. I mean, if you say it's a couple, you're two adults, both fully vaccinated, you could you take more risks than, say, somebody who has a very vulnerable person with them, maybe a, v- a very vulnerable child travelling with them who obviously isn't vaccinated? Would you be keeping them away from an area that had a lot of COVID cases? And then even if you are fully vaccinated, we know that no vaccine is going to stop you getting COVID. But what vaccines do is it stops you becoming very unwell, ending up in hospital or possibly even dying uh, from it. So it is all down to risk assessment. It's how much of a risk you're willing to put yourself in. I mean, I don't know, hand on heart, would I go to an area where I knew there was a lot of COVID cases? Probably not. I I wouldn't. But again, it's completely an individual choice. I certainly have heard of friends of mine who are going to Donegal, who are going to the north, who have questioned it and are talking about it and are watching numbers every day and are thinking when they get there they're going to be extremely careful so I suppose that's if you do decide to go to an area where you do know there's a lot of COVID-19 you, you're extra careful with the hand hygiene extra careful with the social distancing and mask wearing and all of that but yeah I mean I don't think you're on your own I mean I'm assuming from that text you either have something booked or you're thinking of booking something it really it, it, I mean it's everybody's individual choice but risk assessment you really just have to do your own risk assessment uh, on it. 1850-333-103. Uh, our lines are open. We are also looking for your nutritional questions, please, for Annalise. You can get those into us now. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative featuring over 850 places to see and things to do. Host families are wanted for students staying in the Donnerail area. If you can help, can you please email Sabina Keeley at nine at gmail.com. Aurora Charity Shop on St. Joseph's Road in Mallow. They're appealing for donations of clothes, shoes, bric-a-brac, furniture and books for resale in their shop. Proceeds from sales at Aurora Charity Shop go to the Cork Mental Health Association. The staff at Redcliffe Family Hub, they provide emergency accommodation to families experiencing homelessness in Cork. They're taking part in a skydive on Saturday the 18th of September in an effort to raise funds for the centre. You can contribute to their I Donate page, redcliffe-family-hub. And the Wallace family are holding a fundraising garden event. 
for the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day at their home, which is five Spittle Cottages in Cloyne. It's happening this Friday from 9.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon. Donations for the raffle can be, expect, can be accepted this Thursday and you can contact 021 465 2052 for more information. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie And to the listener who paid the two euro for the pint glass of water in a West Cork establishment yesterday with a dash of uh, cordial. Somebody says, Patricia, I would have charged that lady three euro for that glass of water. There's nothing in this world for free. Why do people think that they can expect to get items for free? Well, you know, well, I don't, I don't know because it came in as a text. I don't know whether she expected to get it for free or not. She just felt that it was rip off Ireland. Maybe, maybe she would have been happy to have get uh, to have paid a euro for it. She just thought two euro for a pint glass of water with a dash of cordial. She just thought that that was a little bit too much. 1850 333 103. Hi Patricia, this is Adrian from the PRO of Broom Hill Vintage Club who've been doing great work the last couple of weekends fundraising. He's Adrian's back on to say Broom Hill Vintage Club in Coachford would like to thank all of the participants, the attendees, the contributors, the voluntary stewards who travelled to Ahabolic GAA grounds in Coachford yesterday for the Denjo Dineen Memorial Car and cycle run. The run was held in aid of the wonderfully fantastic West Cork Rapid Response who are a terrific organisation and Adrian says very well supported. 75 cars and motorcycles turning out for the event. A great day uh, was held on with spectacular sunshine. Yeah, they had a terrific day for it and it must have been fantastic to see all those beautiful vintage cars and uh, bicycles and no doubt they were shining in, in the sunshine as well. So well done if you were one of the ones that uh, took part there yesterday and uh, it was the Denjo Dineen Memorial Car Run but on behalf of everyone in the West Cork Rapid Response please take a bow because they are a wonderful organisation and they'll be absolutely uh, thrilled with that turnout yesterday. And Angela's Shop in Fountainstown somebody says you can get a wafer with the ice cream in the middle. They're already made up in the freezer. Oh that's the handy way to do it. Well done. That's that's a good way uh, to do it. Thank you for that. So Angela's Shop in Fountainstown. I knew we'd find one shop still selling the wafer with the ice cream in the middle. Okay the C103 Smart Speaker giveaway with Dundee for How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. All of Ireland's trusted car dealerships. Catherine O'Shea is in Fairfield Rise in Mill Street. And good afternoon to you, Catherine. Hello, Patricia. How are you? Well, I'm very well. And how is everyone in Mill Street today? Very good, thank you. It's a beautiful, sunny summer's day here is in Mill Street. It, is it? And it's a it's a lovely spot. Have you many people around? Have you? Uh, would you? Would you? Would you have many tourists around Mill Street? It's quite enough at the moment now, to be honest, Patricia. Is it? Yeah. It is, yeah. It is. And it's a, it's a, of course the, the the country park is gone, isn't it? It is. And you know when we had the horse shows here in Mill Street, yeah. it was fabulous, but uh, we don't have them anymore. Which is a real pity. All roads it used is. to lead. It all, but the country park was brilliant. God, it's many beautiful. And a yeah. day like yesterday for the country park would have been yeah. absolutely idyllic. Okay, you've contacted us because you would like a smart speaker. Do you have our winning phrase, uh, Catherine? Do. What is it? Play. C103. Oh, well done. And that's what you'll do with your smart speaker. Play C103. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll get, that, we'll get that smart speaker out to you. Continue to enjoy the sunshine. And if you see our Riley Buckley around... Oh, I see her every now and again. She's a great lady. She's a great woman. She really is. Listen, congratulations to you. Thank you very okay. much. Okay, bye-bye, bye-bye. That's uh, Catherine O'Shea in Mill Street winning one of our smart speakers. More of those smart speakers to be given away this afternoon with uh, Nick. And then we have another to be given away with uh, Martina. And I think, is Mark is still in for Martina? I think, yeah, Mark is in for Martina. So uh, he'll give away another one today and we'll do it all over again tomorrow. We're doing another week of the C103 smart speakers. And thank you again. Huge, huge reaction. I can see all the people. Listen, if I had my way, I would be giving everyone a smart speaker. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Town Square in Balancholic uh, joining me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And, and what gorgeous warm weather. Are you loving it? Absolutely loving it. I mean, last week I was in West Cork and sure, look, it's heaven. You wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world. Yeah, I was in Waterford, County Waterford yesterday by the beach uh, yesterday. And, you know, I closed my eyes at one stage and you, you, you actually felt you were on holidays. You actually yes. thought you were away. It, it's, it's terrific. It's lovely. It's balmy. And it's lovely to see people out and about. And I was in Cork City um, last night and there was loads of young people out and having a bite to eat and a drink. It's and great. it was such a lovely feeling to yeah, see back it's, to normal. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Long, long may it continue. And I, I kind of guessed with the way the weather was yesterday, we would inevitably get a couple of texts in on this. Has Annalise any suggestion in? Did put sunscreen on, but I'm a little bit burned today to cool the burning feeling. Sunburn. Yeah, the best 
the best thing for that, Patricia, actually, is aloe vera gel. So try and get the 99% gel, if you can, from a health shop and put it into the fridge and apply that. And it definitely is, of all of the things, the age-old solution for burnt skin. So, and that's easy to get, is it? Should be easy to get. I mean, most chemists would even have aloe vera. If you can get the 99% gel, fantastic. But um, even supermarkets, I would say, have some type of after sun that has got the aloe vera gel in it as well. But the lovely thing about the gel, you see, is when you put it into the fridge, um, it comes out beautifully cool and um, is very soothing. The other thing, I know this sounds counterintuitive now, is just to get into a cool bath. Um, even though water can be quite drying on the skin, but it, if you're very badly burned, it can take the pain and the heat out of it before you go to bed. And just keep it well moisturised is probably the best thing to do. And I'd often say to people, if you're going away on a holiday and you do tend to burn a lot, besides sunscreen, which is very important, taking something like beta-carotene for a month before you can go can just prepare your melan- your melanocytes, which are the cells responsible for tanning. It can just sort of support and prepare them, and it can help you tan better it's also good for people who tend to get heat rash and so it can help stabilize the cells in the skin that might be normally triggered by a lot of heat so some people suffer terribly from heat rash and it's very frustrating so aloe vera is a great thing for heat rash by the way as well so if if you're prone to that keep it always keep it in the fridge okay but a timely reminder it is really hot out there make sure you don't you you do not go out without some kind of sunscreen on you and a hat Patricia as well because I think a lot of people will get sunstroke from their head and actually you know see we get it so rarely here I don't blame anybody for being out in this type of weather but in any other country they just would not be on the beach or they would not be outdoors and they'd be under shades in this kind of temperature so we get it so rarely we tend to lose the run of ourselves but I think even if you just put on a good sunscreen and a hat and make sure you drink plenty of water, you should be fine. Okay, let's get straight into other uh, questions. Um, Hi, what would Annalise recommend for gum disease? Gum disease, okay, so that's an interesting one, Patricia, because a lot of people have gum disease and aren't even aware of it. And there is a big link between gum disease, gingivitis it's called, and heart disease. So the bacteria that is found in gum disease can actually increase your risk of getting heart disease. So there's more than one reason to have healthy gums. So the first thing I would recommend is um, the very basic, Patricia, I suppose, is just having a good toothbrush. Now, I think the electric toothbrushes are brilliant just for giving your teeth a good clean. But there are toothbrushes called mouth watchers, like W-A-T-C-H-E-R-S. And these are toothbrushes that are impregnated with colloidal silver. And I've recommended them over the years to lots of people who get mouth ulcers or have gum disease. And they come back and they say the dentists are absolutely delighted with them. So that their type of toothbrushes that I would recommend. If you can't get your hands on those, you could just buy colloidal silver. And what this is, is just tiny, tiny nanoparticles of silver suspended in water. And silver is a wonderful natural antibacterial and it doesn't knock out the good bacteria either. So you could spray a bit of that on your toothbrush, you know, and let it, uh, let it dry in and then use, your, use it to brush your teeth morning and spray again and then it'll be ready again to go for the evening. Also, obviously, using a good tooth toothpaste is very good. You want, if you're going for natural without the fluoride, go for something with tea tree in there because that's a wonderful uh, natural antibacterial. And so is bread soda, which is great for whitening as well. Um, so they would be two good natural toothpastes. And then the thing I absolutely love is the Dr. Delish Clare mouthwash. It's made with myrrh. 
in it. So frankincense and myrrh that was brought by the three wise yeah, men. Yeah. Um, and it is a fantastic mouthwash. Again, Patricia, I've used, recommended this for years for people who've got severe mouth ulcers and gum disease. And again, they've all come back saying that it works absolutely brilliantly. So that's the Dr. Claire mouthwash as well. Hi, Annalise. Just wondering, could you recommend anything for a bloated stomach? I am on medication for bloating and burping. I don't find it any good for the bloating, but it is working for the burping. I also take Alflorex and I've been on that for the past year. I'd be grateful for any advice. Okay, so there's a couple of different reasons why your stomach would bloat out. And a lot of people will say that they wake up in the morning and their stomachs are flat. And then as the day goes on or as they eat, their stomachs become more and more bloated. So the main reasons would be, number one, you're not digesting your food properly. So we need very good quality um, um, acid in the stomach to kickstart the process of protein digestion. And then we need good bile to help us with fat digestion that comes from the gallbladder and the liver. And then the last thing then is that we need digestive enzymes that will help us break down all the carbohydrates as well. Now, some people genetically mightn't be good at breaking down things like lentils and peas and beans. Some people might bloat, they find, after gluten. Some people just bloat after whether it's bread or rice. It doesn't matter. Any kind of carbohydrate will make them bloat. But there are digestive enzymes that are suitable for all of those things. So go to your local health shop and um, explain what, you know, how you're feeling and your symptoms and they will, and your diet, and they'll sort out the best one for you. So I'm a big fan, if you're poor at digesting protein, for example, I'm a big fan of the digestive enzymes that have a little bit of acid in there because the acid is really important to help digest protein. And people who would have difficulty with digesting protein, Patricia, they'd feel very full after, say, a steak, for example, and it also might make them a bit constipated and their stool could be a bit sticky. Fat digestion, if that's impaired, people might feel a bit nauseous as well as bloated and they might notice that their stool is a little bit sticky but floaty. So they could be maybe tips to see what foods are disagreeing with you. So that's all about digestion. And then the next thing then could be that you have bacteria living in your um, gut that are have overgrown and that are fermenting too much. So in fermenting, they're creating a gas. So you could maybe benefit from a kind of a gut cleanse program, taking something like maybe oregano or um, caprylic acid is another lovely one. Uh, garlic is a great one for giving the gut a clean as well. Thyme oil is another wonderful one. And these are all great for kind of getting rid of yeasts and bacteria that you don't really want living in your gut. But they don't damage the good lactobacilli and bifidobacteria and the other ones. So take a good cleanse. And then a supplement in terms of probiotics should contain a good um, range of different types of bacteria. And one of the ones that I find great for bloating, Patricia, is one called Saccharomyces boulardii. So I'll spell it because it's a difficult one. So that's S-A-C-H. R-O-M-Y-C-E-S, Saccharomyces, Boulardii, B-O-U-L-A-R-D-I-I. And it's a type of yeast, but it's wonderful for bloating and it's wonderful for diarrhoea. Okay, well done. Uh, Mary says, when you're taking a cholesterol tablet, they say you should take a B vitamin. Um, If I'm taking a cholesterol tablet from the doctor, the one I'm on is called Crestor. Will a vitamin B complex do? So... Uh, yes, it's well, a B complex will give you all the B vitamins, Patricia, but the one that I really think you need to take if you're on a statin drug is um, is the coenzyme Q10 because the statin 
works by blocking the pathway in the liver that makes cholesterol, but that pathway also makes coenzyme Q10. And it's a key vitamin for the energy pathways of your cell, which is why if you're not making it and you become deficient, your cells haven't got enough energy to function. So the typical symptoms would be feeling tired after exertion, muscle pain, because the muscle don't have enough energy to contract and relax properly. Um, some people would notice that they're getting kind of forgetful as well, particularly short-term forgetfulness. So they go into a room to get something and by the time they get there, they've forgotten. <laughs> so these are all typical side effects of a statin. And taking a, a, a supplement of coenzyme Q10 can counterbalance that. And you just take that once a day? Take that once a day. There's different ones, Patricia. You can get very expensive ones and you can get very cheap ones. Obviously, the cheap ones aren't as good quality. So I always suggest to people, take the very, very best quality one you can you can get in the shop to start with because then you've got your benchmark, you know if it's working, and then you can always try a cheap one the month afterwards yeah. and make sure that it's still working. Okay, now, Michelle in Middleton uh, suffers from a condition that I can't even pronounce. It's X-A-N-T-H-E-L-A-S-M-A, but I googled it, and it is to do with a flat, slightly elevated, yellowish growth under the eyes, under the eyelids. Oh, yes. Actually, a nurse many, many years ago told me that that could be um, an indicator that you're... Um have high cholesterol. Yeah, uh, so. well, I've just Googled it and that's exactly what it said. It's made up of cholesterol deposits that accumulate yeah. under the eyes uh, and she's wondering, how do you get rid of it? I don't think you can, Patricia. I have one myself and I think the thing is to really just keep an eye on your cholesterol levels and make sure that they're not elevated. It's possible that it could be, something could be done about it surgically, but I would not recommend having that done to the eye just in case. It mightn't go right, but it, it's harmless. It doesn't do anything to your vision. So it's nothing to worry about. It's just some people think it looks unattractive. Yeah, try and um, cover it with concealer or something. Yeah, I, I think actually it's probably in the eye, Patricia. Oh, is it? Oh, sorry, I thought it was under the under the bags of the eyes. Okay, all right. Yeah, oh, actually, in the oh yeah, it's not a lot you can well, do there. The yeah. one I have actually is is in the eye now. It's possible. Again, I haven't heard of this particular condition. Yeah. When you said it and what it was, it reminded me of what a nurse had said to me years ago. So, you know what? I will go and look it up myself. Okay. And if it's bags under the eyes, what you actually need is surgery. You need laser surgery. And uh, believe it or not, I did work for a laser, uh, a cosmetic surgeon in America when I was there. And we used to do exactly that kind of surgery, Patricia. So they basically make a butt under the eyelid and they burn out the fat with a laser. And it's the only way to get rid of it. Okay. Okay. Mich- Michael in Skibbereen, could you please ask Annalise, I'm tired all the time. Is there a cure? There is if you can figure out why you're tired all the time. So generally the most common reasons would be number one, iron deficiency um, or number two B12 deficiency now a lot of people in Ireland Patricia are not good at absorbing B12 and a lot of people are not good at absorbing iron because I think we're all genetically not good with gluten and gluten if that causes irritation in the gut it can mean absorption is poor so the first thing to do is go down to your doctor and get a blood test or if you can't get a blood test because doctors aren't doing it at the moment just go and take a supplement with iron and B12 in it it certainly won't do you any harm to take it for a month and if that improves your energy, then you know that that was the reason. Try and get any, a gentle iron, Patricia, because a lot of them can cause constipation or diarrhea, and that means that you're not absorbing them. So a health shop will be able to um, 
give you a very easy and well-absorbed iron. And B12, if you try and go for the active form of B12, it'll be called methyl, the methyl version, because if you're not good at absorbing, you also may not be good at activating it. So taking the active version will get right in there. Another reason could be vitamin D levels. Um, people often will complain of feeling tired if their D levels are low, but that's more unusual this time of the year. And then if you've been through a long period of stress, it could be actually just disruption of your kind of whole stress axis. So taking a supplement that would sort of support that, like um, there's a lovely one, Nature's Plus do a lovely one called Stress Support. That's really good. Or there's another company that do one called Stress Vida, S-T-R-E-S-S-V-E-D-A, Stress Vida. Again, your health shop will be able to um, figure out a good sort of one if it is as a result of long-term stress. And yeah. you probably need to take it for three months before you notice it. And, and I think the doctors are starting to do bloods again. I think I've started hearing about people getting bloods done. So if people are waiting on getting bloods done to get it checked. Go and get it done straight away. Yeah, it's go, good. Go it's always it good to have a benchmark, Patricia. I don't like recommending people to take things unless they need them. Yeah. Okay. A listener obviously has done damage over the weekend to their shoulder muscle. Uh, damage done to muscles in the shoulder. Uh, recommendation, please, some Annalisa, gel or something to take away the pain. Yeah. So, um, I mean, look, if it's very, very painful, you need probably the drugs, which are, is the Voltrol gel. You'll get that in the pharmacy. But I'm a big fan here of the one called Pernatol Forte. It's spelled P-E-R-N-A-T-O-N. Now, they do a cold one and they do one that heats and goes in. But if you've pulled something, you're nearly always better with cold. So ice it. You need to ice it for about 15 minutes, three or four times a day. And you could use the normal Pernaton um, um, rub-on. That's, that's very, very soothing. It's not fixing anything very quickly, but it definitely gives immediate relief. And then the last thing I'd say for that, if it's pulled... Um, if it's pulled muscle or if there's a lot of bruising, you could take Arnica, which is a great healer. Um, and then the other one then is something maybe like um, Rutta Grava. If you feel it's more of a tendon that you've pulled, that's a great homeopathic one. OK, listen, have a great week. Enjoy the sunshine and we'll talk to you next Monday. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. That is Annalise uh, Giselle. And of course, all the information that Annalise just gave, she'll put up on her website, healthhubstore.com, as heard on the radio. And uh, John Paul will put it up as a podcast and she runs her business at the Health Hub Times Square in Balancon. There's a lovely text in saying, Hi Patricia, would you please remind people to put out a saucepan or a pan of water for the birds? Put a, But please put a brick or a stone in the pan to allow the birds to land on the stone in the pan of water. They will entertain you all day bathing and uh, splashing. Remember the birds, please. Thank you for that. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing uh, Nick Witcher. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.